0: Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the podcast series developed and sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. My name is Yitzhak Et Shalom, and I'm delighted to be studying Parshat Ki Tavo with you. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, Parshat Ki Tavo always comes on the Shabbat a week plus before Rosh Hashanah, so it's always a week uh, it's always within the two weeks of Rosh Hashanah. And um, in this podcast series, as in all of the series, we take each one of the podcasts and use it to read, translate, study, analyze, and discuss one of the aliyot of the current week's parashah. And we're going to take a look at the very, very small second aliyah. Uh, it is all of 4 psukim uh, from chapter 26, verse 12 through verse 15. And as I mentioned in the previous podcast in the Monday, Thursday, and Shabbat afternoon readings in Shul. Uh, this is included as part of that reading, even though normally we only read the first Aliyah. Uh, and the reason for that is not only that there's not really a great place to break up the first Aliyah into three parts, but also, as you will see, and we'll make the main focus of the discuss of our discussion here, the uh, the two pieces very much mirror each other. In the previous podcast, we were presented with the mitzvah of Bikurim, of the first fruits that are to be brought from Shavuot until Hanukkah to the place that Hashem chooses. Uh, the declaration of the Bikurim is referred to Mikra Bikurim. Our Ami Ovedavi, by the way, is to be said in the language that is presented in Lashon HaKodesh, which uh, gave rise to an interesting halakha, is that originally the custom was, as recorded in the Mishnah in the third, uh, sorry, in the um, in Mishnah and Bikurim, that those people who knew how to do the reading on their own would read on their own, and those who didn't would be prompted. Uh, the result of that was, of course, that the more ignorant people felt embarrassed and stopped coming to shulaim. At that point, the rabbis made a ruling, which is that everybody is cued, whether they know how to do it or not. That gave rise to several customs. One of them, uh, which was fully um, accepted in the Ashkenazi world, was that everyone who was called up for an Aliyah has a Baal Kriah read for them, as opposed to many parts of the Edota Mizrach of the Eastern world, in which if someone comes up to read for uh, an Aliyah, if they know how to read, they read it, and if not, the Baal Kriah reads for them. Uh, secondly, according to, and this is an interesting, interesting tangent, according to many Rishonim, the bracha that is said under the chupa at the Kiddushin section, Asher Kiddusham, Tav Tzivano, al arayot, etc., that ends, Baruchat Hashem, Akadosham, Yisrael, the chuppah kiddushin, really is a bracha that should be said by the chatan, by the groom. His, it's his mitzvah, according to the Rambam, that's certainly the case. However, many grooms are not able to make that bracha, and it has become pretty much a universal custom for the misader kiddushin, the person who is putting the kiddushin together and uh, overseeing them to make that bracha instead of the chatan. And that is all rooted in the halacha of Bikurim. The reason I mention that is because in our section, the second aliyah, we're going to see a something of an, a mirror to that, which is another declaration that also has to do with the fruit of the land. But on, but unlike the first declaration, Mikrabi Karim, this declaration is said in whatever language the person knows, and it's a declaration that is made at home, as opposed to in your Shalim, and those two may be tied together. So, When you complete tithing all of the tithes of your produce in the third year, and I'll explain what this means in a minute, the year of the ma'aser, it's a very strange phrase, then, lavi la Mana, you give it to thee, and this is the famous foursome throughout Sefer Dvarim, of the disenfranchised, the levi, the stranger, the orphan, and the widow, v'achlu <speaking in Hebrew> Aracha, they shall eat it in your gates, meaning in your cities, visaveu, and be satisfied. Now what is this referring to? So before going ahead, because the next three sukim. Uh, all focus now on the declaration, you have to remember that the general structure of tithes works as follows. First of all, everything works within a seven-year cycle, the Shemitah cycle. And during the first six years of that cycle, when the produce belongs to the farmer, uh, he has to separate tithes, which include trumot and Masrot, uh, and give them to the proper people before he can eat from his food. Food which has not been properly separated is called tevel, and you cannot eat from it until the separations have been made, and then been given to the proper recipient. The first thing that must be separated is truma, or is referred to it as truma gedola. That is pretty much any amount, although the halacha is roughly 2%, which is given to the kohanim. Subsequently, 10% of what's left... So it's roughly 10%, 9.8% of the original yield is given to the Levi. That is called Maaser Rishon. The Levi then has to take 10% of that, as stipulated at the end of Parshat Korach, and give it to the Kohen. It's called Maaser Mina ma'aser or Trumat Maaser. And then subsequently, our farmer, who sold so far separated truma and Maaser, has to separate a separate Maaser which is called Maaser Sheni. And that is only during the first, second, fourth, and fifth years of the cycle, as we see in our parashat. How do we see that? Because our year, the third year, is called Shnata Maaser, which Chazal understand to mean, this is the year in which there's only one Maaser, meaning Maaser Rishon, what it happens to the other Maaser, that is given, the Levi, la Guerre, la and this is what we refer to as Maser Ani. It's another form of Tztaka, and it's given to the poor. And therefore, during the first two years, and the fourth and fifth years of the cycle, we give the Maser Rishon to the Levi, and Maser Shani we keep for ourselves, take it to Rishalayim, celebrate with it there, or transfer it to coins, and bring the coins to Rishalayim, and spend it on on good food and drink, etc., as laid out in Parshat Re'eh. But here, in this third year, and then replicated in the sixth year, it's given to the poor. Now, uh, important to note that the seventh year, which I skipped over, is a year in which there are no Tremoto because there's no owners of the land. That's an important point to see. But now we move on. So you're going to now finish... Um, and give all of these masrot, then you have to do the following. And Halacha stipulates that this is going to be on the air of Pesach of the 3rd and of the 6th year. You're going to declare before Hashem, I have gotten all of the holy things out of the house. I've cleaned them out. Meaning, And I've given them to that for, those four. Just like your entire mitzvah that you commanded me, meaning I do it exactly according to the command, from where we learned also that you have to donate in order, first chuma, then maaser, etc. I have not deliberately violated your law, nor have I forgotten. So this confession is, I've done everything the way that you commanded me to do it. Lo achaltivonimenu I did not eat of it when I was mourning. And this we understand to be a reference to Maaser Sheni, that Maser Sheni may not be eaten by a mourner, Veloviarti bitamei and I did not devour it again Maaser Sheni in impurity, meaning either it being impure or me being impure. Vonatati the mate, it was not used for some funerary purpose. Shamati b'kol adunai elohai, I have listened to the voice, meaning obeyed the voice of Hashem, my God. Asiti kuchal and again that stress, I did exactly as you commanded me. So this is a very different kind of declaration from Mikra kurim, which is historiosophical in nature. And the point of it is to recount the God's great kindness in taking us out of the land and bringing, of Egypt and bringing us to the land of Israel and giving us the great bounty. And that leads to, and here is the first fruit of that bounty. Here it is, a statement of obeisance. I've done exactly as you've commanded, and I'm confessing uh, that uh, that I have done it that way. The Sforno here has a, has a marvelous comment. He says, Why is this called Vidui Masrot? Why is this called a confession? He says, Because after all, really, the Trumot and Masrot should be going within the family, but because of the various sins in the desert, beginning with Cheta Egel, as a result, the sin of the golden calf, as a result of that, the Masrot were taken from the firstborn in every family and given to Shevet Levi, give it to the Kohanim and Levim, and that's why it's a form of Yidui Maasrot. Very insightful comment. After this declaration and confession, Hashkifa m'imon look down from your heavenly abode, uvarechet Yisrael, and bless your people, Israel, v'etadamashin the land that you gave us. Just as you promised to our ancestors, a land of flowing milk and honey. So As I promised in the previous podcast, we we already compared and contrasted these two sets of declarations, both halachically as far as where they're said and what language they're said. Also, who says them? Anybody separating Masrut would say these. Um, but also, the uh, I, I mentioned that we would take a look at that very, very familiar phrase, Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash. And what indeed does it mean to have a land that is flowing of milk and honey? Do we picture a land in which honey and milk are flowing out of the land? That's a little bit of a, uh, even, for, even for poetic license, a bit much. When you think about this, first of all, Chalav, milk. Milk, in our image, brings up a picture of cows. Uh, however, milk in Tanakh is almost always goat's milk. So if there's a lots of goat's milk, if the land is flowing with goat's milk, that means what is there lots of? There's lots of grass. There's lots of things for the goats to eat so that they're producing lots of milk. So you basically have a very green land. And dvash is understood both halachically and and uh, exegetically here not to be date honey as it is in Parakhet Pasukhed, chapter 8, verse 8, but rather, here it is bees' honey. Why would there be lots of bees' honey? Because there's lots of flowers. So Eretz Zavat Chalav Udevash is a land really that is green and lush with grass and is multicolored with lots and lots of flowers, which is, of course, what leads to the flowing milk and honey. Okay, we'll pause at this point. We'll pick it up, uh, in the next podcast with another very short Aliyah in which we have now completed the Neumah mitzvot, the, the presentation of the mitzvot that we are to do when we come to the land. It began in Parshat Re'eh, and now we are moving to the Brit, the third segment of Sefer Varim, as Moshe administers several oaths and a covenant to the second generation, the generation that is going to enter the land, of course, without Moshe Rabenu. Pick it up on the next podcast. Everybody should have a wonderful day.